everybody, welcome to episode 4 of Neurological. Tonight's episode is going to be more about recommendations. And happy election day! I vote for this election to be over. <laughs> Alright, so recommendations. Uh, let's start off with a book. What's a book that you've read recently um, that you want to give a shout out to, talk about, recommend? Um, so the book, unlike some of the podcasts, um, is a little bit more of a combination of psychology, but it also does cover a little bit of criminal justice related topics. Um, so the book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghost. It's written by Dr. Gabor Mate, and it's all about um, his experiences as a doctor related to um, addiction. Or what about the book did you like the most? Probably my favorite thing about this book, it's a, I have it right here. It's a really big book, but I really enjoyed just the wide range of topics that he covers in the book about addiction. So he doesn't just cover like the roots of addiction, like where things come, where addiction starts and everything. Um, he doesn't just cover treatment for addiction, but he goes at it uh, going across those topics, but also adds in some policy stuff with, like, the war on drugs. He covers, like, the brain and how that interacts um, or that how that relates to addiction. Um, he covers his experiences as a doctor and... I really like his first-hand knowledge, but also he does base a lot of it on, like, real research and stuff, too. Is that the one that you were reading that um, the author, the doctor himself, had his own personal experiences with addiction? Or is that a different book? That, uh, the book I think that you're referring to um, is a, it's a different book, but this one, he does talk about, like, addiction being on a being on a spectrum he says like pretty much everybody has their own form of an addiction it just may not be as uh impacting their life as much so he does talk about his own experiences with addiction to um shopping and he will buy records musical mm -hmm. records hmm. i think i'm thinking a different book then but okay so was there anything from that book that um maybe you didn't like, or you disagreed with, or you wanted more, or less, or? Uh, definitely nothing I disagreed with. I really, I actually think that this is a book that pretty much everybody who has questions about addiction should read, because even though it's written by a doctor, he's really good at just breaking it down to, into something that you can understand. And I really wouldn't disagree with anything he said. Um, I do wish that he would cover even more on the topic and kind of go into more detail with some of the social policy stuff. I know that's kind of outside of his uh, realm of expertise as being a doctor, but um, I do, I really liked his discussion on it because it's just a different perspective hearing what he thinks we should do in terms of policy versus what actual like lawmakers think. Does he go into detail about the trauma history that you often see in yes. addiction? Okay. Yeah. There's a whole chapter on trauma 
And when I say a whole chapter, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot for this. It is a thick book. Uh, any interesting takeaways that really sat with you, resonated with you? I think just the whole idea that he sees addiction on a spectrum is something I just really never heard of before. Most people see it as, you know, addiction is that person that is addicted to heroin and they're living on the streets. And that's like the only view that people have of it or someone who can't stop drinking alcohol. But he talks, like I said, it talks about it as a spectrum. And for him, like he shops and will spend lots of money on musical records. Um, he talks about other people who work too many hours in a week. Um, so he's not downplaying addiction by saying that. I think he's just recognizing that we all have some behaviors that could be considered, you know, on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one of the biggest takeaways. Yeah, I know that there's this perspective in the field, um, and also a, a, a TED Talk, I don't know the name of it offhand, but they talk about how everyone has an addiction. That's kind of sounding like it's lining up with um, what this author is talking about. Um, and I've always taken more of the stance away from that because I like to look at that addiction from the clinical lens. Um, but I can certainly get behind more of the spectrum piece where you might fall on the, the lower end of that spectrum where it's interrupting your daily life a little bit versus the full-blown, there are extreme disruptions to everyday life. Yeah. Um, so I like that better than the phrasing of just like everybody has an addiction to something. Yeah, I think that's, I think a lot of the, like, stuff we're talking about now is people like to refer to as on a spectrum mm -hmm. versus um, saying everyone has an addiction would kind of be, one, alarming to some people and also, like, it would feel downplaying to others. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, well, that's not the same as what I'm experiencing. But if you put it on a spectrum, then it's fair to say that, you know, we all fall somewhere on there. Right. All right. So you want to switch over to some podcasts that you're talking or that you're listening to? Um, I just wanted to point out one more thing with the book was that the focus goes into like genetic components. So like what we inherit from people in terms of addiction or mental health um, or mental illness and or any medical condition. And one of the things I really liked in his book was he kind of not disproved, but kind of like battled some of that idea that, you know, we put so much emphasis on genes and that it's actually, there's a lot of social influence and a lot of environmental stuff from the way our parents raise us. And one of the biggest things I took away from this, and I, I wish I had learned this in, you know, psychology and college and stuff, was we always talked about adoption studies and how that can help us understand, you know, what's genetic and what's not genetic. And he kind of says, well, we can't really use those because when an, an adoption happens, there's some inherent stressful experiences that actually could be the real drivers, not the genetic factor. Hmm. That's a good point. Which I really thought was cool because we usually talk about those studies as helping us see what's genetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even if it's a quote-unquote peaceful adoption process, there's still some pretty huge transitions that are happening to that infant, child, adolescent brain. Yeah. I mean, he says by nature, like with an adoption, 
you know, the mother or the parents have given up that child for some reason. Mm-hmm. And whether that's, you know, like you just said, like, whether it's a, a peaceful adoption or a smooth adoption process, you know, that child is still being removed from their biological parents mm-hmm. for some reason. And that can create some stress that the child's not even aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know even at its, like, I don't know if you want to call it most basic form, but, like, babies who lose a parent, it's suggested that there's some trauma implications in their brain, even just from not having that smell alone, no longer being able to smell mom or smell dad or whoever whoever it was that they lost. Mm. So, yeah, we can switch over to podcasts now. <laughs> okay. So, morally indefensible, that's one that you've been listening to? Yeah, that's a newer one. Um, I believe it was just released earlier this year. And that's created by Truth Media, um, is the producers of that. It's hosted by Mark Smerling, um, who, the, the way I found this, this podcast was, he is the co-host of another podcast I used to listen to um, when they were releasing new episodes, was Crime Town. And he was the co-host of that show. And I just really liked his work and the work on the show Crime Town. So I thought I would check this one out, even though it's by a different, um, a different producer technically, but he's still the co or he's still the host of it. Um, so I I gave this one a shot, and it's an eight part series. So it's a little different from some of the other ones that are like just new information every week. This one like it has like a set beginning and end of the story, and um, I've been really enjoying it today or enjoying it as I've been listening to it. And I actually just finished it up today. Um, what's the, like, typical length on those episodes? For that show? Mm-hmm. Uh, those ones are about 25 to 30-something minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're actually a little bit shorter, which sometimes I like that. Just It switches it up, and you can listen to more episodes uh, quick more quickly. And just general gist, uh, what can listeners expect out of that one? So one of the things that kept my attention through this one was because it wasn't, the whole focus wasn't on the the true crime aspect of it. So it starts, it's rooted in a criminal case where a doctor, Dr. Jeffrey McDonald, he's a Green Beret um, doctor in the military, and in 1970... He was um, accused at the time of murdering his wife and two children. Um, it sounds very similar for those who are familiar with the Chris Watts case, mm-hmm. but he the the only really the main difference is this guy was a military doctor, and um, in 1979 he gets a, he gets convicted of the murders of the family, and he agrees to have this interview with. Uh, an author and a journalist, uh, Joe McGinnis, who had already done work on Richard Nixon and had actually gotten really close to the campaign and wrote some pretty damaging stuff. It was considered to be true by him. It's just that it's not what the campaign obviously wanted uh, the information out. And it's kind of the whole uh, point of this podcast is that they discuss the same thing. Where the you know Joe McGinnis basically friended um, Jeffrey McDonald and 
Jeffrey McDonald, obviously, you know, being in a criminal case, wanted the case to be presented in an, a way that sh looks good for him. And he made the author agree that he would, you know, do it justice in that sense. And he couldn't um, have creative expression in his work, meaning like he couldn't write if he found the information to be slightly different based on his uh, like investigation as a journalist, he couldn't go that direction because he made that agreement with uh, Jeffrey McDonald. But what's argued afterwards is that he did go outside the range of that contract. And so that's, some people are seeing that as morally indefensible. That's where the name comes from. Oh, okay. So you said you just finished it up today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, were there any questions that you have that were left unanswered? I think that, I mean, the real question related to the crime is why did he do it? That really was never answered. That wasn't the focus of the, of the podcast. Again, like I said, this podcast, it was, it was a cool true crime podcast because that, that wasn't the focus was the crime. It was what this author did afterwards with his relationship with someone who was a, um, convicted of a crime. And I think that's just the biggest question is, you know, why did he do that? He's convicted of it, so it's not, did he do it or did he not do it? You know, we can not we can debate that, but it's more so, you know, why did he do it? Mm -hmm. He never really came out with that. This might be a silly question, but would you say that that is a question that's left unanswered in many, many cases? The why? What was the motive? Why, why would that person do such a thing? Yeah, I think the what... You know, what happened, that gets answered, you know, whether it's 100% or not, it's it's usually answered. But the why, that's just, you know, this that was in 1979 he was convicted, and people still don't really understand why. Mm -hmm. I think that's why. All right. What else are you listening to? Um, well, before we move on to the next podcast, I just wanted to put out um, that there something cool about this podcast is there's a follow-up TV series. Um, so it's an FX series and it's called a wilderness, wilderness of error. So that'll be my next uh, TV series to watch. Um, cause it does follow up right after the podcast. Um, so I, I do want to check that out. And then there's two books that were kind of obviously with a, a story that revolves around an author and a journalist. He wrote a book about the case called Fatal Vision, and that was kind of the, it was actually brought up in a lot of the, the podcasts, and it was brought up in some of the follow-up court cases, and then um, there's an, a third book, or a, a third part of it, which is a book called The Journalist and the Murderer, and that's written by another author who talks about this case and this relationship between Joe McGinnis, the author of the Fatal Vision book, and Jeffrey McDonald, the convicted murderer. So it's like a journalist examining a journalist who examined a murderer. Sounds like a lot of cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's like a weird um, setup, but it's it makes for a really like interesting story that really you haven't heard about a lot of the other cases that are famous. Mm -hmm. Listening to, or what else I listen to, 
Um, I listened to Confronting O.J. Simpson uh, podcast a, a while ago, actually when it first came out. And this one is uh, produced by Glass um, and Wondering Media. And it's hosted by Kim Goldman. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the O.J. Simpson case, Kim Goldman is the sister of Ron Goldman, who was one of the people um, who was found dead um, at the O.J. Nicole Brown Simpson's house. Um, so Nicole Brown Simpson was found dead, and then also Ron Goldman. So this is the sister of Ron Goldman, and with a name like confronting O.J. Simpson, she actually never gets to talk to O.J. Simpson. He never, he always turns down any interviews to her, and I think for obvious reasons, um, he, you know, is afraid of what will come out of that, um, whatever it may be, but she confronts him as the sister of a victim of homicide by, I'm sorry, not a victim of homicide, I should correct myself on that, because for those of you who don't know, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of murder, but he was found guilty in a civil trial of, um, like, wrongful death. So I can't say a victim of homicide, technically. But now we know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't Please don't tell O.J. Simpson. Um, but uh, as a sister of a victim um, who was killed, the she confronts that case through interviewing all the people who were involved in the case. So she interviews like some of the detectives, the prosecutor um, on the case. Um, she interviews a grief expert at one point. Um, obviously not involved in the case, but she just wants to kind of reflect on her own grief. And I think that one's really good too. It certainly sounds like it would be interesting really to just go back and listen to and hear from all these people who have had some role in the case. Interesting. I believe, I mean, I think she, I'm pretty sure she interviews even, like, the defense side. So not mm -hmm. just what it would be, what you just said, like, favorable to her, but she does, I mean, I do give her a lot of credit and respect. Um, you know, obviously she's emotionally charged in this case, but I think she does approach it from she just wants to understand, you know, what happened with the case. Um, because the case is what it is. Like, she, unlike the defendant in the case, the victim's families can't appeal mm -hmm. the outcome of the case. They can't say, well, we don't like the outcome, let's appeal it. Mm -hmm. But the defendant can always do that. Um, so it's just a, kind of an interesting flip of the coin there. Yeah. So how about the Have You Seen This Man podcast? Have You Seen This Man podcast that I know you've been listening to? So that one is created by ABC News. Mm. Um, and it is all about, again, this is like a, a cool, different uh, true crime podcast in that uh, the main focus of it is a guy named Lester Eubanks. And Lester is a... He was convicted of several different crimes um, and was incarcerated multiple times. He actually escaped from the prison, was taken back, and then he escapes again a different time. And with that, that's kind of where this podcast picks up um, or, or tries to do the most investigation. 
So it does give you a little background, but then it also is kind of just figuring out where where this guy is, because when um, he escapes, um, there is there hasn't been any real updates of where they where this guy is. Huh. Um, so they had all kinds of agencies involved, you know, the U.S. Marshals um, trying to find, and that's they interview a lot on this case. But it's just you know a different perspective on true crime in that again the case is not the focus the you know the criminal acts that he did at the time that got him in prison it's he got out of prison and they don't know where he went hmm. so it's a kind of a different missing persons case because usually it's the victim or you know someone in, uh, on that side of the the case but this is the offender so it's always fascinating to me it, <laughs> just people escaping prison and you've been to prisons not as a criminal, <laughs> but as a, as a scholar. And, like, your experiences in prisons, would you say, like, yeah, this is an easy place to get out of? Or, like, how, I don't understand how it happens. It, if you, if you're someone that's not typically in prison, like me, <laughs> Just and sometimes. you go, you go into a prison, you don't look at it going, oh, I definitely could get out of here. Like, that is not my first, was not my first thought. Um, it's still not a thought, you so know. It was your second thought. <laughs> no, it's, like, my tenth thought. Like, how do I get out of here legally, maybe, but, like, it is not something that you think you can get out of as a person, maybe, who hasn't been in prison before. Mm -hmm. But something I've seen and I've heard a lot, it's actually kind of disturbing when you listen to um, some of the other podcasts like, Small Town Murder was the one I mentioned before, like, a lot of those cases that the person gets out, and they escape, and you're just like, how does that happen? And I think we underplay that people can't get out of prison like that. I think that we think that prisons are a complete safeguard. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want everyone to be, you know, <laughs> frightened um, to leave their houses now, but like, it's not, it isn't happening all the time either. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just amazing um, that people do escape from prison. And I will say, sometimes it's not from the actual building. Like, sometimes it's uh, on a transport. That sometimes makes sense. it's on, um, like, they're, they're out to court anyway mm -hmm. for something else. So it's not necessarily from the building, but, like, <laughs> what people picture is, like, you know, they have a spoon and they dig through the walls and that's how they get out. Like, that's not happening. And that's not what happened in this case. Um, it's it's more so, like, they have vulnerabilities that they pick out. Or um, sometimes, unfortunately, like, they can get someone on the inside, we'll say. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, we had, in one of my social work classes in undergrad, um someone who was incarcerated for a pretty lengthy time had come in to speak to our class. And he, that was one of the insights he shared, um, was just the, the networking and connections that can happen between prison inmates and guards even. Now I'm not saying that all correction officers are getting people out of prison, but those connections definitely do happen. Mm -hmm. Um, he wasn't talking about it in the context of helping him escape. It was more, uh, for fun, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you could view that, like, that behavior on a spectrum, too, in the sense that, you know, and again, 
clarify, not all correctional officers are doing these things, but, you know, look at it on the spectrum of, on the one side, like, the correctional officer does, gives the person an extra five minutes in the yard, Mm -hmm. or they give them a little extra food, or they bring them, like, an extra drink. Like, that's on the one, like, you know, weak side of the spectrum. All the way on the other side is, they get the person out of the prison. Like, they help them escape. And then in between, you have smuggling things in, like drugs, um, money, stuff that they're not supposed to have, mail um, that wasn't screened and all that kind of stuff, and mail that goes out, um, extra time on the computers or something like that, unsupervised time on the computers, things like that. So, I mean, you can look at that as a spectrum, too. Mm -hmm. Your face was very funny when I mentioned about you being in prisons, by the way. We should probably start <laughs> video recording these. <laughs> All right, so wrapping up um, dialogue podcasts, there's a specific episode on cults. What can you share about that? So I did want to end on kind of an episode focus rather than a whole podcast. So dialogue podcasts, mentioned them plenty of times before. Rebecca Sebastian is the host of that. Um is now produced, I believe, by Crawl Space Media, which is pretty awesome for her that she has a, um, a big producer behind them now. Um, she did a series of a couple episodes on cults. And I know that's a topic that you're kind of interested in. I'm so fascinated by cults. So I definitely then would recommend this episode and the work that um, Dr. Lalik, I want to say her name is. Um, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. But she is a sociologist who was also in a cult. Mm. So, like, you're taking, again, like, we have the doctor who had some of his own addictions before. This is a professor, a sociologist, who was in a cult herself. Mm -hmm. And she researches cults. Um, You know, her dissertation was on the difference between two cults. Was her cult involvement pre, post, or during... Like, her, like, sociology work. It was pre. Pre, okay. So that kind of formed the interest in researching cults. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she was in a cult for, I believe, over ten years. And during that time frame was prior... She didn't go back for her doctorate until, I believe, she was 50-something. Um, so it was prior to that that she was actually in the cult. Um, but yeah, she wrote, she has written several books, um, one of which is Escaping Utopia. Um, another one is Bounded Choice. So Bounded Choice, the title for that is actually her terminology for what she would call brainwashing. Hmm. So... I'm sure you're familiar with, they always say like, you know, I was in a cult and I was brainwashed. Mm -hmm. But she says a better term for that is not brainwashed, but they were given bounded choices. And bounded choice meaning that you have these, you have choices in a cult, but you really don't because they're all bounded to something. So if I choose to do this, you know, there's consequences for that. Mm -hmm. And everything that the people it seemingly seems like they are choosing are not actually choosing. You know, they have to do these things because that's how they live up to the person that they're worshiping. That's how they live up to, you know, the cult's mission. 
Um, that's how they stay in the cult. That's how they get all their needs met. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, I could stop doing this, but then I won't get that stuff. Yeah. Or I won't be seen as a good cult member. Yeah, and at that point, you're you're probably so far into it that you're faithful then to that cult. So those choices no longer look like good options. Yeah. She does a, a great job um, in this episode, but I'm sure in the books too, talking about like the idea of free will. Hmm. So it's mm-hmm. definitely something I recommend all the listeners that are interested in cults um, check out, but also you. Um, I think really... <laughs> me, this is for me. <laughs> yeah. I had to do a podcast to get her to listen to a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, the irony in that. <laughs> um, one of the other cool things that she points out is the difference between a cult and a religion. And mm-hmm. a cult, she says, you know, you're worshiping a person. Um, you're putting all your faith into a human being versus a religion. Usually the higher power is some, um, entity that's not an actual person. Um, so you may, you know, go to church and have a pastor. You may go to, um, you know, go to worship and have a rabbi, or you may, um, you know, listen to the Pope and listen to, you know, what he's giving out information, but you're not actually worshiping the Pope. You're not actually worshiping the pastor. You're worshiping God still, or the higher power. You're just using those as kind of like the messenger, or like the person who's kind of engaging in the conversations with you. Mm-hmm. With a cult, no, you're actually worshiping the person, the leader um, of the cult. And you said she wrote a book, you Land of Utopia? Escaping Utopia. Escaping Utopia. A Land of Utopia. Totally different No, 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 things. they're trying to get out of Utopia. <laughs> Escaping. My active listening skills aren't too good. <laughs> okay, so that kind of makes me think about how we could maybe brush up on our Scientology knowledge and do an episode on that. Are you saying that's a cult? Uh, maybe you know my thoughts now. <laughs> we know yours about OJ and you know mine about Scientology. Um, all right, anything else for today i mean i will say if we do want to brush up on scientology the uh leah remney yeah uh series which yeah. is put on netflix oh the one that we were just talking about the other day yeah. on a and e so was it on a yeah so it's just been made a lot more convenient that oh. we can watch it without commercials on netflix for sure okay so stay tuned for that episode and if you have your own thoughts on that we'd love to hear them <laughs> yeah so you guys can check that out on netflix um, that's Leah Remney's, um, if anybody doesn't know her, uh, she's a famous actress, um, known for her role in the show King of Queens, um, among other movies, and, or uh, among other TV shows and movies, and she is someone that was a part of Scientology and then left the organization, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her perspectives, it's so, it's devastating, really, at least from my point of view anyway. But yeah, we could definitely do a whole episode on that if, um, that, I think that would be good because that's something that you spend a lot of time listening. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So we'll have to check it out on Netflix and we mentioned Netflix a lot in here. So potential sponsor, that'd be great. <laughs> so we won't do a 
you know, what I'm listening to, reading, um, watching, all that kind of stuff, because this whole episode was about kind of that. But I will say that I am excited um, to read a book. Um, <laughs> not... <laughs> I'm excited to read a book pathetic. Um, that I actually want to read now. So I did just buy a book last week, I think it was. Um, it's all about the brain defense. So it's about the insanity uh, defense. And there's like, they cover a case in New York State um, throughout it and talk about, you know, kind of the background behind that case or behind that defense. So I'm excited to read that. Yeah. Stay tuned. But thank you all so much for listening. I hope you check out Neurological on Instagram, Facebook, and you can also check out my website, which is neurological.wixsite.com slash neurological. And on there, you can get the links to my podcast. You can get the links to my social media, past blog posts, and you can also check out the Neurological um, shirts that were produced through Turning Leaf. Um, they're still available, so you can check those out. And for cute puppy photos, you can look up Sit Stay Blog on Instagram. <laughs> also known as the blog that features the dog who was shaking her ears the whole time. <laughs>